I um I got more shipping boxes oh. from Amazon. And you know, okay, so like you know how Amazon you basically rarely can get the same thing twice. Like if it's like, you know, a weird thing, right? Like, you know, like some shipping boxes or some random random items sold by like a company with, with all capital letters in their name. Mm-hmm. Um so I got new shipping boxes because there's a few more things to ship out, right? For the for the patrons, the patrons. And the boxes I got are from the brand Petaflop. Petaflop. <laughs> Petaflop. Okay. Petaflop. So, yeah, when future patrons of the world, when you get a box from me, know that it came from Petaflop. Isn't isn't Petaflop like the biggest thing that a computer can do? Like the most computations can, like that they're like we're going to measure in like the many fl- as many flops as possible. And you said that this company called Petaflop makes boxes? I mean, uh, they likely also make any number of things. All, all that computing power to make boxes. I see. Let's see what else Petaflop sells. Oh, let's not do that. Okay. Okay. Well, <laughs> well this no, well, they have picture frames. Okay. They have a lot of picture frames. They have a mirror. Hmm. They have gift boxes. They have, they have t-shirts that just say Petaflop on them. And so I definitely have to wrap Petaflop. You're going to wrap the flop? Wrap <laughs> for the, the patrons, right? Instead of sending them dive down merch, you just send them Petaflop merch. Yes. Oh, I, I do have an announcement, Devin. Devin, I'd like to, yep. I'm so excited to announce that we have been acquired by Petaflop. Inc. <laughs> oh, actually, wow. the dive down is now a wholly owned subsidiary of Petaflop. <laughs> Hashtag sponsored. <laughs> Yeah. Hashtag sponsored. Yeah, so along with uh, along with the dive down, you can also get yourself some uh, vintage metal outdoor seating sets, some bathroom cabinets. <laughs> well, Petaflop really does sell everything. Like I'm, I'm telling you, man, these companies they do everything and more. Yeah. Hello, and welcome to episode 243 of the dive down a Magic the Gathering podcast focused on the latest decks, trends, and strategies for the casual spike. My name is Shane here in Denver, Colorado, with me on the line from Massachusetts. It's the one and only Devin O'Donnell, a.k.a. Doomwake. It's me. What's up, Shane? Devin, welcome back. It's It's been a week. It's been a week. Yeah. Go on. Some stuff. Well, uh, well, actually, I I don't think I I don't think I mentioned this the last time we were here. We had a sub goal in place last week, and uh, we did hit the sub goal, which means I just booked a flight last minute to Orlando. I'm leaving this Friday, actually. Wow. It turns out not the best idea to wait till you know five days before to book a flight, but you know, learn my lesson. <laughs> <laughs> Are you on like Spirit? Uh, Frontier, actually. Which I yeah. guess is the next the next worst thing. I would yeah I I fly I fly Frontier a little bit more often than I'd like to out of Denver and I haven't had good luck but I just feel like that's just airlines these days is you know it's never that great. Devin, do you have to go play Magic in the Magic Kingdom? Is that is that why or what's going on? Well, believe it or not, I'm actually not going to play Magic. I'm going to play a different card game. What card game is that? Uh, it's a little one you may have heard of it called Yu Gi Oh. Yu Gi Oh. Yeah. Yu-Gi-Oh. I've been getting into some some old school Yu-Gi-Oh. There's a format called Edison. It's like if you know what pre-modern is, it's effectively Yu-Gi-Oh's version of pre-modern. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, that sounds up your alley. And playing a lot of it, you know, I'm I'm a boomer, so there's a lot of nostalgia with the old cards and getting to play with those again. It's it's so much fun. Is so Exodia a- in there? Is it Zodia? <laughs> no, 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 no. I wait. Okay. I think it's legal, but nobody plays it. But yeah, they're uh, having like a, a really, really big tournament down in Orlando. Probably the the biggest Edison tournament this year. And I wanted to uh, I wanted to go. And and thankfully we hit the sub goal. So I'll I'll be there. It was that it was that dive down retweet. That's that's what it was. <laughs> okay, so I, I want to ask about Yu Gi Oh because I don't I mean there's there's only twelve pages of notes. So that's only what. 
80 to, 80 to 90 minutes. So right. I got to so fill gonna, this So you're going to do there. a tight 15 on Yu-Gi-Oh now? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> no, so what I, what I heard about Yu-Gi-Oh, and I, I want to check this take, is that competitive Yu-Gi-Oh right now is is you do win in one turn, but that the games of Yu-Gi-Oh are all about kind of getting yourself in a position to win in that one turn. Like there's a lot of like sort of dodging and fainting on your way to get there. Is is that true? Where it's like, you know, you sort of stop your opponent and then you go off all in one turn typically, or is that only a certain type of format of Yu-Gi-Oh? I think most of that is like the newer formats. I think what they call like our, our their version of standard is called traditional. And I think that's a lot of what that is with like the some of the newer cards that are a little bit more pushed. But honestly, with uh, with Edison format, it feels a lot more like there's a lot of plotting. It's the the games usually last about four or five turns. It's not over in just one turn. And there's a lot of strategy. There's a lot of like, you know, um, just it, it's so much fun. I love it so much. A lot of like, um, yeah, just like a lot of strategy involved. Not not as much like the, the combo stuff. Got it. Well, it's good to play games that you love doom uh we also do have the godfather dave harberger here um I, my new name is exodia okay we have exodia way. yeah my my uh my dad actually sold a lot of Yu-Gi-Oh cards at the at the shop towards really? the end the uh yes the i don't know if, if I, have you been on when i've talked about the fact that we had a i had a magic store like my family yeah, had a magic it. store in the 90s yeah, yeah. We all know Dave. That's right. So, but towards the end, so we went through a magic phase and then went through a Pokemon phase. And then at the end, it went through a Yu-Gi-Oh phase, definitely. And I remember my dad was very excited because he had like foil Exodia, all the pieces in like Mm. night, or this is like 2002 or three. I remember him talking about it and I was like, cool, I guess at five pieces five pieces to a single guy was was your dad playing playing Yu-Gi-Oh with the kids no i think he just knew that it was worth a lot of money or something so <laughs> he was excited Perfect. about it speaking of things worth a lot of money and worth your money we have of course our sponsor heavy play we're going to talk about a newer not new at this point card gaming accessories brand that'll improve your gameplay and your game day uh, of course, you know, we have the play mats. We have the deck boxes. We have the dice boxes. We got the card sleeves, all featuring enhanced ergonomics, enhanced mobility, enhanced protection. The thing that we talk... Oh, Dave, you know, I'm getting shaking my, that dice getting box. getting my dice box out, and you got to do the noise. There's the oh, noise. Yeah. Snap it in. Oh, the noise. The, the equip mag noise. The feel of the equip mag is what I like the most, where it's just like... That's that's the noise magnets make when they snap together. Uh, you can you know you snap the boxes together, you snap them to your play map, you carry the play mat around, whatever the heck you want to do. You can carry it all in a single hand. So these are potentially at your LGS or a nearby gaming store of some kind. Or you can shop at heavyplay.com, and if you do, you can use code the dive down twenty twenty three for ten percent off of your first order at Heavy Play. So thank you, Heavy Play, and thank you all you listeners. I know people keep showing like shipping boxes on the Discord of their heavy play swag that's arriving. I know people, like I said last week, are getting into those sleeves, so feel free to check that stuff out. Dave, full disclosure audience, I was on a three-day weekend this weekend, so I was gone from Friday till late Sunday. I didn't do a lick of preparation for this episode until like an hour or two ago. Leaf peeping. You were leaf peeping. Oh, I was was peeping those leaves. As I say, Devin, in the Massachusetts, do they say leaf peeping, or is that a Colorado thing? Uh, before you just mentioned that, I've never heard that phrase in my entire life. I don't even know what it means. I I had not until I moved out here. Basically, uh, in Colorado, we have a lot of evergreens 
And generally the sort of what the shoulder season, as they call it, is pretty brief. So going to actually see changing leaves is like an event that people do. So like late September, early October-ish, people like try to find places where they can actually go see like yellow, orange, if you're lucky, some red leaves. Uh, I didn't go specifically to peep the leaves, but we just got out of town about three hours away uh, this weekend, my wife and I, and the drive was the drive was gorgeous. Lots of really nice foothills and like mountain peaks and uh, trees all over the joint. So that was great. But anyway, I wasn't here. Dave and Devin. You could have you could have just came to my house and looked out my window if you wanted to see the, the leaves <laughs> change colors. I got a bird's eye view. I mean, that's what I miss about the Midwest a little bit. My uh, The house I grew up in, um, Dave and I grew up in the same town and we had tree lawns which were the the strip between the sidewalk and the street. And they were called that because we had gigantic freaking trees on like nearly every street. And I would look out my front window and there was one gigantic red tree and one gigantic yellow tree every fall. And I do not have that same luxury out here. Dave, what color were your trees? Got a lot of trees out there, Devin. A few. In your your neck of the woods. Yeah. Just a couple. Nice. They're usually they usually fall down during the storms, but Ooh. Uh we we are not changing it. It's still eighty five degrees <laughs> here in Chicago. So, you know, it's oh summer gosh. part part due right now. But the reason I said all this is because I'm gonna tell you to introduce what we're doing on this week's show. I have no idea what we're doing on the show. There's it's a you grab bag. This. It's another grab bag. I think we have a lot of little things to talk about, you know, and so I'll give I'm gonna give people the outline right now. Check the show notes if you wanna know where to skip. If you do wanna skip, because we're gonna talk about a few different things. One is there are RCs this weekend in uh, in Europe and Canada, and uh, they're in Pioneer. So we're going to spend a little bit of time talking about that, do a little brief check-in on, uh, on Pioneer, because we haven't for a while. Uh, and it seems fun. I know Devin is still out there brewing. I see him posting brews all the time in Pioneer. So we're going to check in on what's going on with that. And then in Modern, you know, I thought that maybe Devin and I could just talk a little bit about what we've been up to lately. So Devin went to an RCQ with Mono Black Coffers. Uh, and then I was looking for a new deck in modern because I'm like this now that my favorite deck is everyone's favorite deck or everyone's least favorite deck or the most popular deck. It's time for me to pull some hipster BS and move on to an, an, a different deck that's something new and still as good as its first album. So uh, I am trying out hardened scales this week to see if I would like to do play that. Oh, sweet. Dave, if, if hardened scales was like a late 90s early 2000s you know we we were in college when it came out and that's the best era of the band what would that be so i i actually thought about this when i for some reason when i was thinking about hardened scales here's what i think hardened scales is i don't think it's from when we were in college i think hardened scales is battles basically oh, yeah, there you go it's math yes. rock hardened scales is I, math rock i love revisiting that album. yeah uh, and then finally, we do have a few new cards to talk about from Lost Caverns of Ixalan. I was kind of hopeful that they would spill, spill, spoil or spill uh, a couple new cards today. They didn't. But uh, we have, I have three cards in the notes. I'm open to other people suggesting other ones to talk about. But that's what we're doing today. But first, let's do a little housekeeping. Sweet. We I had kind of a oh, big week it. in the Patreon this week, right? I'm loving it. I'm loving all these new citizens of the Dive Donation. Got so we have Nathan R, Danny P, Steve O B, Dylan J, Sunil S, and Prime P. Six Thank people, you all six new folks, six Let's new citizens. Go. Yeah, yeah. Appreciate but we have no everybody. increased tiers. Yep, and no increased tiers, no new reviews though. So it's the ter- worst week ever. Mm. <laughs> 
I, pre- I prefer well, the patrons like over the review. Yeah, exactly. Take the good with the bad. Wait, I prefer. Wait, hold yeah. on. I submitted. I submitted something on Spotify. Did it not go through? Dave handles all that. Damn it! Did Give you talk to Dave? Did you put a note in on what? Yeah. On our, so uh, you know, you know how it says like on Spotify when you click on the episode and it's like Q and A. What did you think about this episode? I put something in there. I, I wanted okay. you to see it, but. I'm going to log we in. We talk about that okay, next week. Yeah, you, you, you dig this up while I keep going. We've got, so if you want to be like all of our new citizens of the Dive Down Nation, you can go to patreon.com slash the Dive Down. We very much do need your ongoing support. And if you haven't yet, feel free to get your papers signed, stamp that passport, become a citizen, patreon.com slash the Dive Down. We are almost extremely fully caught up with all of the swag. So we are sending out stuff just from the last month or two. So keep your eyes peeled for that. Some of our international folks have been posting photos of their their stuff that went all the way over to like the Netherlands. I'm looking forward to hopefully seeing some photos from our folks down in New Zealand and Australia. Oceania. Is it Oceania or Oceania? Ania. I think it's Oceania. Yeah. There you go. If you don't want to do the ongoing Patreon thing, you can go to the store, get some swag, uh, thedivedown.com slash store. Mana Traders is one of our our longest sponsor. They're not really a sponsor, longest affiliate. If you use the code thedivedown23, you can go to manatraders.com, get yourself a subscription to rent Magic Online cards. That gets you 10% off those first two months. We appreciate that. Barrister and Man, we'll talk about them later. You can use code thedivedown23 for 15% off your first order there. And our friends at Nerd Rage Gaming give you 8% off your order with the code DIVE8. All right, so we do have some wonderful what did you think about this episode (laughs) responses, including one from Devin. Devin, uh, I'm going to read some of the other ones first. So these are to the George DeBoer episode, episode 241, Don't Play Control in Modern. First one said, thanks for another excellent episode. That's from William. Uh, Taylor M. put... Loved this episode. I've been playing for about a year. In the last couple of months, I've been getting into Modern Competitive, and your podcast has helped a lot. I actually just my first invite to an RCQ last weekend. I I think that means they might have won an, uh, won an RCQ. So great job, Taylor M. And then Devin O. Devin O's comments guy? was beans. Just beans. <laughs> In yeah, that one, beans. Not, not the beans episode. Nailed the it. The George episode. Now let's check out one of the other ones. So we actually have uh, a lot. Here's Dave, a, you got to keep up with this. Robin Yu. This is on last week's episode, episode 242. This episode is full of beans. R-M-S-E-D-A-T-U. That probably means something dirty that I don't understand. Is that Morse code? Yeah, exactly. This one says, too free for the bean. Thank you. Oh, yeah. Robin, classic. Robin, you, if you're not first, you're last. I was high <laughs> when I said that, Ricky. So we got a, uh, a Talladega Knights little callback there. And then, yeah, we have people on episode 240. Wade C., uh, always enjoy your content and look for modern and pioneer new listeners. Great episodes. Love having prominent streamers and players on to talk about what they've been playing. Good thing. Devitt and still likes us. All right. And ocean master of the flow just says, loved it. There you go. Thank you so much for interacting on Spotify. We appreciate it. It's funny. It, usually we get like one comment a week and all of a sudden in the last two or three weeks, it's been two, two, three, four comments a week. So go fill it in. Uh, maybe we can put some custom questions in here. I can add questions as well. Yeah, I think we should we should have episode based like what's your favorite bean? Yeah. What do you hate most from modern scam? What have you been doing lately? <laughs> yeah, perfect. Yeah. All right. First things what's first. What's on your bean grapes? Beans. Let's talk about a format that has less beans in it. 
And actually, we're not going to talk a lot about sure beans about this that? week. So, somewhat. It has a little less beans in it, right? Devin, but yeah, it's, I'm actually going to like rely on you. The beans in this format is the appetizer. Ah, got it. So we're talking about Pioneer. It's time to talk about some events. As we said, it's RC season again, suddenly, uh, surprisingly. And the RCs right now are Pioneer. We're going to take a look at a couple of different events. The first one that we're going to look at is the Legacy European Tour that is in LEC Lille. I guess that's how you say that name. It looks like a lovely town. Uh, but oh, this, yeah. this event was huge. 690 players. Wowee. It's almost like you know a very small GP. One thing really, really quickly. So you you mentioned it was RC season. It's kind of RC season. So I don't know if you if you guys know this, but Atlanta's not for another like three months. So these RCs are going to be so far far enough apart where there's going to be another set before the RC that I play, which because oh, yeah. I'm qualified for Atlanta. I actually just booked my yeah, flight the, the other day. Yeah. So there's it's it's kind of weird how far apart these RCs are. Yeah. Yeah, because it's in Canada and the EU, but us like you said is in december essentially and then i don't know when any of the ones in apac are happening or anything like that but maybe it's um maybe it's soon yeah that reminds me i should probably figure out if i'm gonna go down and spectate in atlanta or not so gotta figure that one i've gotta hang out with at least one of my co-hosts in Doomwake. yeah i am i'm thinking seriously about going to atlanta too for what it's worth oh, just to there. cheer devon on as well i guess i'll see david there too yeah all right shane do you want to take us through the meta here. Yeah. So in Lille, as you said, Dave, 690 players. And so we'll do the usual. We've got some meta breakdowns provided from the Legacy European Tour organizers, and that's certainly helpful. It's a lot of the same. It's, uh, you know, 12.4% Rakdos midrange, 10% mono green devotion. I mean, 8.4% rack sack. So this is holding on as one of the, you know, tier one, tier two decks in the format, just in representation. Is it Phoenix is the one that's mildly surprising to me. It was 7% of the day one meta. I'm going to pick your brain about this a little bit in a second, Devin, because I want to know what you're thinking about Phoenix. Spirits and Humans, both at 6.4%. Azorius Control, 4.6%. Lotus Field, also 4.6%. Then we've got some interesting stuff. We've got Boros Convoke at 4 Boros Heroic at 3.3%. So we got our two sort of aggressive Boros decks that do pretty different things. Uh, you know, co- sort of combining to about 7.3%. Uh, Greasefang at three and Azorius Lotus Field at three. And then, you know, all the other below that. So nothing too top heavy here and nothing I think that's kind of too out of left field. But I think in the time that we've had between really talking critically at all about Pioneer, I think Is It Phoenix is a deck that sort of seems like it is, you know, doing the Phoenix thing and rising from the ashes a little bit. What's going on here? So I think any idea, I think part of the at least part of the resurgence of Phoenix definitely has to do with the printing of sleight of hand or I guess the reprinting of sleight of hand into the format, because before like there was just not as much consistency on finding those Phoenixes and sleight of hand, you know, one mana allowing you to look at two cards really gets you closer to find your haymakers, find your ways to discard Phoenixes, and it gives you more one drops for not only Phoenixes, but also Thing in the Ices. So we kind of have really 
seen a, a big resurgence of Phoenix over the past couple of months. I'll be honest with you. I think the most surprising thing, at least as far as the metagame numbers are concerned, Grease Fang, less than 3% of the meta is shocking to me. I actually thought it was going to be like the third or fourth most, third or fourth most played deck um, because it's been it's at least been all over the place online. And I'm, I'm very surprised that less people decided to show up. I think part of that was because they expected Phoenix. That matchup's kind of tough for, uh, for Grease Fang. So Grease Fang's down a little bit here. Interesting. Yeah, and I and I think that's part of partly due to the fact that you know Phoenix is increasing. The green matchup can be a little sketchy if they're on the play and they have Karn. The sacrifice matchup can be kind of tough because they have you know constant access to ways to enable revolt for fatal push. So yeah, I think part that's probably why maybe people were scared off of Grease Fang. Um, as far as the the metagame as a whole, I mean, you're right. It is kind of a lot of the same decks that we've seen over you know the past 12, 15 months at this point. Uh, I would like to point out win rates, though. I'm looking at the uh, the melee yes. page. Uh, th- these win rates look, I mean, quite to be quite frankly, like they just look atrocious. Like Rakdos <laughs> mid range, 48 percent, 49 percent. Excuse me. Green devotion, 48 percent. Sacrifice, 48 percent. Phoenix, 48 percent. Humans, 48 percent. Spirits, 46. Azorius control, 41. And then you get to Lotus Field, which is 54. That's the best one by far. Ding. And then it's just like, you know, mid 40s low 50s the entire way around so yeah the metagame is a little stale in terms of the decks that we've seen but there's not really any scary win rates yeah that was one of the things i noticed i only had a chance to look at the day one win rates because i didn't have a chance to look at it again last night into today but that they don't change that much from day one to day two generally but the other thing that stood out to me other than um lotus field as you said was the boros decks are also plus 50% and had done pretty well in this tournament as well. Boros Heroic at the end of day one was 57.5% win rate. I don't know how it settled in the field, if you can still see 56. it where you're looking right now. 56, yeah. So. Boros Convoke was 52, and Grease Fang was right around 55%. So, what yep. do you, I mean, given that these are all decks that we're familiar with in the past, you know, what do you think has kind of led to these, these win rates, kind of these decks being the breakout decks of the week of the weekend Here, here's my take though before devon goes you can't you can't grind anymore you just you got you just gotta go you gotta you gotta convoke them you gotta heroic them you gotta combo them this, this is what i'm talking about this is my kind of format yeah <laughs> well it it's weird so i think the the boros decks as you mentioned they kind of attack the format from two relatively different angles so you have the convoke deck that's all about going wide and the heroic deck that's all about going tall and those kind of, even though they're both Boros and, you know, aggressive strategies, they really require very specific different answers to be able to attack them. So that is part of it where I think if maybe people were prepared for Convoke and not prepared for Heroic or vice versa. I also think that the presence uh, or like the Rakdos midrange decks were like basically like when, when's the last time you saw somebody cast a lily out of the veil and i think that has a lot to do with the heroic win rate because heroic is relatively pretty good against the spot removal spells you have god's willings you have surge of salvations you have, you have plenty of ways to protect liliana was kind of the the real nail in the coffin for that matchup so with that card being effectively gone from the format that's you know means heroic and makes her good again and i think that convoke is just naturally good against rakdos or wow. so I mean, I, there, the, some of these decks have gotten boosts, other boosts as well out of Woe, though, too, right? So I saw people online talking about Boros, Boros Heroic and that, um, I forget the name of the card, Monstrous Rage. Monstrous Rage, that, that card is busted. 
Oh boy. Told you. We talked about it. We, it looked great. I don't even remember what deck I was playing it in a couple of weeks. Was I playing it in Prowess a couple? I think I was playing Prowess, yeah, Prowess a few weeks ago. And I was like, that's a one of. That card is very good. And then Boros Kuro- The Heroic decks playing four of those. Yes, exactly. I, I think it's totally worth I mean, I could see why it would be worth it. I mean, giving a buff and trample forever is very, very useful for one mana at instant speed. And then Convoke is also kind of benefiting from bunnycorn but also bringing in ember cleave as part of the the fact that bunnycorn is in the deck as well right yeah a lot of the at least the list that i was looking at the the convoke list that i saw they also had Imodane's recruiter as Mm. now i think most of them are on like two reckless bushwhacker and two recruiter so they're not playing additional copies of bushwhacker but they're splitting and it might seem pretty marginal but recruiter is a much better top deck because it doesn't require you to have a spell to be able to pair with it ah i see recruiter is the bushwhacker it's so it's just three minutes two two etb give everything plus one plus oh in haste uh or yeah three minute two two haste everything plus one plus oh and that one's a lot better than bushwhacker when you're top decking because again you don't need to surge you don't need to hold a spell in your hand so it like it there's a lot of these weird situations with bushwhacker where you have to like hold back an ornithopter that you might want to use for a gleeful demolitioner or so on and so forth and not having to hold back a spell makes your your top decks a lot better yeah even though it's an extra mana i mean i imagine the trained troops occasionally comes up to the adventure side, especially if you're top decking, like maybe that helps you recover a little bit. If you are like, wow, I have a bunch of mana and no, nothing else to do with it. But uh, yeah, that's cool to see that there's a little bit of evolution going on on that side too. I'm not sure if Greasefang picked anything up from Woe. Did it, Devin, do you think? Or is it just kind of like what we, no. No, the, the <laughs> rat we know and love? No. You could you could just copy paste a list from 12 months ago and it'd probably be the same yeah. deck. Sweet. Yeah. How did uh, how the top eight turn out of this tournament? I think we probably skip over the day two meta shame. Yeah, day two is really close to day one. I think. I mean, I, d- I was looking at this while you all were chit chatting, and some of the things that I think you know, Ractus Mid went up a few percentage points. Mono White Humans went up a little bit. Omnath to Light went up a decent amount, uh, and the Convoke decks and did pretty well. So, I mean, you know, one thing what if, you expect. if we are going to hop into it for a second, Mono Green did completely crater. It had really yes. bad. Uh, conversion rate, you know, there even were... Even though it had a 49% win rate, or 48-ish percent, I think. It was 69 people day one, or 10% of the meta, and only 10 of those people qualified for day two. To Not nice. 6% of the day two meta. Not great. Sheesh. Right. Yeah, that's pretty bad. All right, so the top eight, you asked, I will provide. We had Samuel Estrati on five-color Rona combo. This deck is new to me. This is not the Rona combo of old, but I think I get it by looking at it, but Devin, I might need your help here. What it looks like to me is you can make a lot of mana with you know your elves, your Kinnon, your Tyvar, etc., to speed out your Bring to Light, which can get Luka Coppercoat Outcast, or you just cast the Luka Coppercoat Outcast. Devin is shaking his head. Uh, bring to Light can't get Planeswalkers, right? Creature, instant Oh, well, poop-a-doop. Well, that's not going to work. So, I mean, <laughs> I guess you can hard cast the Luka. Or, of course, Bring the Light can get you your single tin of the uh, Valky. But I don't know what else you're doing with all of that Bring to Lighting. Because you can't get the Atraxa, which is what you minus Luca on. You, so you, you can, if you get Luca out, you minus him on one of your two mana creatures. You have no other higher mana value creatures in the deck. So I think that just automatically gets you Atraxa, correct? Yes, that is okay. correct. What else am I doing here? So this deck 
it might look like, you know, the the first when you look at the deck list, the first card listed is Luka Coppercoat Outcast. This is not a Luka Coppercoat Outcast deck. This is a Rona deck. So the combo that we are trying to set up is uh, Rona Herald of Invasion with Retraction Helix and Moxie. So the same, the same classic combo that we've been talking about. Yes. Okay. Yeah, and you'll notice there's two card the great creators in the main to go ahead and fetch another copy of Mox Amber in the sideboard. Uh, and then there's a Helix in the board, which cool, funny enough, you can actually go bring the light for, for granted, granted for mm-hmm. Helix and Helix to you know set up the combo that way. Uh, so we have that combo. The Lucas are in here really just kind of as like a plan B, where if you're not able to set up the Rona combo, then you can just go Luca into any one of your creatures that are two or more mana. And lo and behold, the only thing you can Luca into is Atraxa. So it's just like five mana, put Atraxa onto the battlefield, help stabilize if your combo gets like stopped. Okay, so it is still the primary combo that we've, you know, we've messed with, we've tested, we've we talked about, but you do have sort of just a, another game plan with a Luka. Yeah, kind of just adds like another dimension to the deck. I I, I don't I don't think I've seen like a Yorion version of this deck before. Yeah, so this particular list from Samuel looks awesome. I'm probably going to have to give this a try. It looks it looks like a really big improvement to because I've seen 60 card Rona Luka list, but I have not seen Yorion. And it seems like especially with the tracks, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, the thing that mildly surprises me about this is that, you know, one of the ways that people were trying to build the Rona decks uh, back in like the you know, early Demir or Sultai days, is you got a little bit of stack interaction or hand interaction, right? Like you could play Thoughtseize or Fatal Push or Counter Magic to try to protect your combo or things like that. But this looks like it's just kind of trying to do the thing where it's just like, hey, I'm going to present my mana elves. I'm going to present, you know, my planeswalkers and try to combo off. Right. And the bring to lights, like you said, you know, you the bring to lights not only uh, allow you to kind of find, a, you know, Valky or you, there's an unmoored ego and a witch's vengeance in the main, but you can also just find more combo pieces. If you need a Rona, you can bring the light for that. You can bring get a cannon if you need to. Also, one other thing worth noting, Kinnon can also find the Traxa. So it's not just Luca. Mm. Kinnon can can put a Traxa into play, too, which is kind of sick. Mm. Oh, sweet. I believe Samuel Samuel was uh seven oh and one or something like that after day one like i think what had the best record coming out of day one and, and went on to top eight after that yeah first in the swiss second place we have joseph san filiu on gruel vehicles the only thing i really see here that's new is a to me is a playset of the huntsman's redemption which is uh, from uh wild's is it from Woe? Yeah, it's from Woe. It's a two green saga, and it reads, chapter one, create a three, three uh, green beast creature token. Shane, that sounds bad, but wait, there's more. Chapter two, you may sacrifice a creature. If you do, search your library for a creature or basic land card, reveal it, put it into your hand, then shuffle. Chapter three, up to two target creatures, each get plus two, plus two, and gain trample until end of turn. So this is a cool sort of enabler and finisher. I mean, Devin just gave a huge thumbs up on camera to this card, like forced perspective all the way in front of the lens. So you like this card, Devin? Card's great. Yeah, absolutely love this card. Um, I when the when the, I think it's like the week the, the week after the set came out, I played a challenge with Gruel vehicles with four of this card, and every single time I drew it, it was so good. It just like. The it just so works so well with the Lovestruck Beast tokens because you can go like Lovestruck Beast make a token, play this, you get a three three, then you can use that one one that you got from Lovestruck to go find a Thrill Seeker or a Storm Seeker or anything like that. And then also chapter three, giving two things plus two plus two trample. There's also some really cool things you can do where 
the way that chat, the way that fable or sagas work is they, they trigger in main phase one. So in your draw phase, if you, what you can do is you can like you draw for your turn and then you can crew the vehicle in your draw phase, or I guess upkeep. And then once you get to your main phase, those creatures are in play. So they will see the chapter three of the saga. So you can even like pump up your chariot or your sky sovereign to help sizing. Uh, yeah, absolutely love this card. Also one more thing with a crone war. If you go a crow and war, steal your thing and time it right with the redemption, you can sacrifice their thing to the chapter two of Huntsman's Redemption. Yeah. Love, Love that. See it. Love that uh, rack sack move. Yeah. I saw somebody on Twitter call this the green fable of the mirror breaker. What do you think? Is that too, too hyperbolic, Devin? Or you think it's in the same, <sighs> same ish bracket? Or what do you think? 80% of a saga or of a fable? What do you think? Mm, give me like 70. 70? It's close. Okay. Like it, it's, it's basically, it's as good as green is going to get as close as green is going to get to fable. It's, mm-hmm. it's really good. Well, I hope that Sweet. nobody gets as close to fable as fable kind of ever again. Yeah, that's true. But God. you know, okay. 70%. I'll take it. All right. Third place and fourth place. Uh, Sam Rolf on Lotus field, Adrian Inigo Totsit on Lotus field as well. Fifth place, Marcine Kimusko on enigmatic fires. Sixth place, All Sec. They go, I think, go with like their streamer name on Rakdos Mid. Seventh place, Lars Heinrich Vark on Greasefang. And eighth place, Christopher Larson on Raksak. So, seven different decks in this top eight. Cannot complain about that, at least. And I mean, these are all, they, I guess, what's the one thing? We don't have, okay, yeah, we have Rakdos Mid. We have Rakdos Sack. We've got Lotus Field. We've got aggressive decks. We've got a weird combo deck. Um, yeah. Seems like a perfectly good top eight to me. The uh, the winner was Lotus Field, correct? Yeah, correct. Um, Adrian yeah. Inigo Tatsit Adrian. wins over Grease Fang in the hands of Lars Heinrichwerk. So sweet. Congratulations. That's a big tournament to win. A lot of people. Lotus Field was kind of the emerging talk of this tournament over the second day two, I would say, basically. And even part of day one, there were a lot of people on Twitter popping up to be like, Lotus Field, Lotus Field's back. There's a lot of Lotus Field. Lotus Field's winning. Like, I know that it it had, what, a 54% win rate, Devin, that you, you said aggregate, but it was it was definitely one of the things that people were talking about the most as the tournament progressed. Yeah, and honestly, 54% might not sound that high, but when you compare it to the, West, the rest of the win rates, it was probably the second or third highest. Just crushing. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I think part of that is we, you know, we talked about how there was a big kind of talk. The talk of the town was like this Phoenix deck coming in. There was, there was Phoenix was everywhere on magic online. And I think a lot of people were preparing for Phoenix and Lotus field preys on Phoenix. That matchup is close to unwinnable for the Phoenix side of things. So, you know, if a lot of people are picking up Phoenix, it does make a lot of sense for the Lotus field list. One thing that I will mention about the list in particular, there's three discontinuities, which is a card that we have not seen in the combo version before more in the control version. So maybe that picks up and uh, people continue to play that, but it's a cool tech. Do people remember what discontinuity does? I'm going to read it. Real I, know quick. It, I know it ends the turn. If it it's just your turn for turn. cheaper. Yes. Yeah. Two mana end the turn. That's it. Yeah. So it removes the Lotus field sack trigger from the stack. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah. Two lands. Seems like an expensive Devin, way to do way. that. Yeah. For what it's worth. Like it's, it costs, oh no, it costs two less. Yeah. So it's, sorry. It is two mana on your turn if you cast it. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. I also did briefly write up the face-to-face championship in Calgary. That had 177 players, yet somehow went 13 rounds. That seems Jeez. really, that seems cruel, honestly. Uh, and the metagame there, not drastically different. You know, it's like 
Model Green Devotion, 10.7 Rack Sack, only 9% Rack Mid, 8% Phoenix, 6.8 Heroic, so it's more Heroic, 6.8 Mono White Humans, 5.65 Grease Fang, so there's a slightly more Grease Fang, folks, for you, Devin. And then, of course, you know, like the usual, like 5% Spirits, 3.4% Lotus Field, and 3.4% Convoke. However, the win rate's very different in this tournament. <laughs> yeah, they are. They're, they're definitely... They're definitely different. Like, you know, Rack Sack They're not was, as flat. Yeah, yeah, not as flat. The, what are, what are our standouts here? Rack Sack was like 55.8. And is it Phoenix was 59 Approaching 60, yeah. Yeah, wowee. And then and I think part of spirits. that is because there's, there's a lot less Lotus Field combo. Like there was only six people playing Lotus Field combo. Yeah. And as we just mentioned, you know, if that matchup is pretty bad for Phoenix and there's less people playing Lotus, then kind of makes sense that the Phoenix win rate increases. Yeah. Yeah. And then spirits increases as well because spirits is pretty good against Phoenix, right? I actually don't know. I've never actually played that matchup. Okay. I I assume it's pretty close. I've heard I, it's I pretty know. good. I've I've always been like, why is it good? But you know, I think I've heard that too. So the top eight here, Liam Kane on Racksack, Boston Shatterman on Phoenix, Derek Pite, aka misplaced ginger on guess what? Rakdos mid, <laughs> Drew Christensen wow. on Boros Heroic. Altafur on Gruel Vehicles, Gavi Bennett on Azorius Control, Andrew Kidston on Mono Green Devotion, and David Schneier on Enigmatic Fires. And guess what one? Phoenix. Hold on. If I count, that's eight different decks there, too. Yeah. This is more than seven. That's eight. Yeah. 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 And so Boston Shadowman takes it down with Phoenix? Yep. That's the story. All right. So one thing that I did find interesting, and it kind of gets back to us talking about how even stuff was seeming, by and large, uh, mtgdex.net, great site, thank you for existing. They did a sort of a event com- combination of everything that happened at uh, Lille. So they had like a classic qualifier with 236 players. They had the championship, the with 690 players, and then they had a last chance qualifier with 297 players. And so what? That's like a bunch of matches. Wow. And from, from Magic's these three back, of, baby, and Lil. Magic, Magic, Magic is back. But what's funny is like from these three events, things are looking pretty darn flat. Like the only things that are really kind of out of like the 47 to low 50s percent is like Lotus Field at 56% with 423 matches, Boros Heroic at 55% across 393, and Boros Convoke at 55% as well across 351. And the only thing that's really falling behind is Azorius Lotus Field at about 45% across 252 matches. Yeah. If you go down to Rona, Rona has 59% win rate with 120 matches for what it's worth. Yeah, it's, it's like, yeah, it's a decent smaller sample size, sample but, size, but reasonable. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of like how it looks, right? There's just so many decks between like 47, 51, 52. And you can, I, I guess you can play whatever you want, or you can try to play the, the decks that are spiking right now. I don't know. What would, what, what do you, what do you think in this, this win rate ma- uh, matrix do, do? There's a lot of yellow on this chart and I can't <laughs> so help, but you know, I don't, I don't usually like to bring up the, the play draw thing in pioneer. Cause I know it's kind of a, a topic that a lot of people have, you know, kind of overblown and stuff. But I mean, when you look at it like this, if every single, if what appears to be every single deck is winning half of its matches, <laughs> I mean, I, that's as close to a coin flip as you can get, right? Like, yeah, it's true. It's weird. Yeah. 
Are you, you're still playing a good amount of Pioneer, right? I know you've broadened out to modern a good amount lately, but I have seen you brewing in Pioneer still. Are you in there every day, you think? Are you in there a few times no. a week or what? Where, where are you at right now? Definitely not every day. I, I, it's like, I'd be lucky if I spend one day a week on Pioneer at this point. Okay. Well, I'm happened? basically like back all in on modern. I don't know. I just, I enjoy the modern format a lot more than I enjoy the Pioneer format. Yeah. That's really, that's really all it is. I mean, it, I think a lot of it is the, like, if you look at all is of these us, decks. Is it us, Devin? Did we influence you to no. get back into modern a little bit? <laughs> Maybe. Start coming on the no, show with us. Know, I, I, I don't want to tell the listeners at home that they're forcing me to, to say that I like modern. But anyways, <laughs> um, yeah, I think a lot of it has to do with, like, if you look at the decks that people played in these two events, it's a lot of the same stuff that we've seen for six, seven, eight, nine months right now. Yeah. And I don't think, now that's not to say that the format is not balanced. Like it's basically as balanced as you possibly could be. Everything is winning half of its matches. There's nothing that is in terms of metagame share, nothing above 12%. So like in terms of the numbers, the metagame seems relatively healthy, but it's just that I just really I, it's really hard to explain other than I really just don't enjoy the play patterns as much as I used to. Yeah. I mean, there's probably some novelty in there. I mean, not to get deep into like what Devin needs to reconnect with Pioneer, but like you did play Pioneer pretty much exclusively for a good amount of time. I mean, that was about a year, right? Of just grinding Pioneer probably when you started your stream. And so yeah. I could see just being like burnt out on a little bit. There hasn't been a massive a break. shake up to Pioneer in a while. And so, yeah, the meta hasn't been completely reconfigured. I mean, in a way, if you look at this stuff like, the the last major shakeup I feel like that happened to Pioneer was when Rakdos mid range got good, back two yeah, years honestly. ago, almost right. It's it's probably been that long since that since that deck got got kind of kind of burst on the scene. Really, is it more like eighteen months? Uh, well, okay. What I was thinking was the printing of Shieldred. I think yeah. that's kind of where it all turned around. So the Rakdos mid range deck was like fine before Shieldred, but it didn't really have that top end close threat. And Shieldred is just like the most broken finisher in the entire form. I'm not saying that Shieldred is a broken card, but in context of Pioneer at the top of your curve where it's like a bunch of thoughts, fatal push, cheap interaction. It's just like the best possible thing you could top your curve with. Yeah. So, yeah. So there's that. Yeah. And who knows, you know, as, as you need to get ready because Atlanta is Pioneer, right? So you're going to have to turn yes. some amount of, of attention back to it. Then I imagine we will too, as we get closer. So this is kind of like a nice little appetizer as we begin to start thinking about having to think about Pioneer again, because, you know, I mean, I, I, w I would love to play some else uh, last chance qualifiers or stuff like that when I'm down for uh, for Atlanta as well. So, yeah, I'll, what I'll probably do is I'll probably start like my really, really dedicated testing, maybe like a month and a half out. Yeah. So probably like maybe in about a month or so, that's when I'll really start, start to move back in on Pioneer. Yep. Yep. All right. Dave, you want to let's let's get out of here. Yep. Let's let's get let's get into that little ad break yep. and then we'll come back to start talking again where i will likely be very quiet unless i can find clever little interjections to talk to when you and devin start talking about some decks you've been playing so stay with us david you know what i'm holding uh it sounds like something in paper or plastic and it's actually in plastic think. but yeah. i finally have hollows in my my hands, hollow ends, and guess what? I got it too. Oh my man! Live so reacts. We have we have the hollows. If you're not familiar with what hollows is, hollows is Barrister and Man's big 
fall fragrance that's in all sorts of stuff. The shaving soap, you know, the fragrance, the aftershave balm, the splash, the body soap, all that good stuff. I have the shaving soap. What do you have? I have a sample of the shaving soap as well. Sweet. And let me tell you, it smells yeah. like autumn. It smells me, like, like autumn in here. Live on mic. Okay. Ooh. Let me, hold on. So I like this. Because so when, when I I say I honestly did save this for the episode because I opened the box and I kind of looked I kind of like smelled it through the plastic a little bit mm-hmm. opened it up closed it right away and I was like this is kind of like a pumpkin spice and now that I have it it's out, not it's not like a pumpkin spice at all it's like it has a lot of freshness you know what I it like. reminds me of I know it's supposed to be maybe a little spooky because it's called Hollows and it's got some some of that spooky art direction to go with it. Got your gothic, your kind of like modern gothic kind of typeface going on for Hallows on the website. Go check it out. Yeah. Uh, it, it reminds me a little bit of like walking down the streets and there's leaves have fallen and you're getting that kind of nice aut- autumnal scent in the air. And you're remembering when you were a kid and thinking about Calvin and Hobbes. <laughs> I'm always thinking about Calvin and Hobbes. <laughs> exactly. And the scenes where Calvin is walking through the woods with Hobbes sharing a moment. That's what, that's what Hallows reminds me of. A little more positive spin. It can also be spooky, too, if you want. Yeah, I'm there with you. I get, I get the black pepper. I get the cocoa. But I definitely get like the vetiver on top that keeps it from being kind of like a one note hey this is you know pumpkin spice latte or leaves in the fall type thing and yeah i'm all about it i'm looking forward to i'm gonna use this tomorrow i've got i so dave what's your shaving schedule mine is sunday and thursday i shave twice a week so as you all know i don't actually shave i use the beard oils uh, so i don't actually ever get to use the shaving the shaving soaps in particular but i do use the regular soaps and the hand soaps and the beard oil and occasionally the aftershave splash, even though there is no aftershave moment for me. <laughs> My entire life is pre-shave. <laughs> awesome. Well, if you want to be like Dave, and, and I guess and like me, pick up any one of these products, whether it's going to be Hollows or any other of the amazing scents of Barrister and Man, you can go to barristerandman, M-A-N-N, dot com. You can use our code, the Dive Down 23 for 15% off of your first order there. Helps Will know that you came from the dive down, keeps our relationship with him going, and we appreciate that. All right, we're back. And as we said, I did not play Magic last week. I didn't play a single game. I didn't play any card games at all last week. So uh, forgive me. You know what you and I am playing? I'm just going to throw this out there. Lies of P. Yeah. Yeah. Lies of P. If you're if you're a Souls weirdo, if you like those Souls games, you like the you like the this weird Pinocchio game, I promise you. Yeah. I've been admitted admittedly been playing Baldur's Gate some as well. Yes. But, you know. Yes. You know, Dave, you'll beat it in like three years. I believe in you. Yeah, that's how long it takes me to play games these days. I mean it took me <laughs> seven years to beat Breath of the Wild, so you know, hey, you know, like like we like we said before the episode, you know, you eat the elephant one bite at a time. That's right. But speaking of elephants, we have Devin's elephant mana ish. Well, this is a bad metaphor, but I'm going to keep rolling with it. So the elephant in the room. <laughs> it's like what are you? What are you the, doing? the elephant in the room is, is coffers, Devin. You're you're still playing coffers. Okay. You played an RCQ. Yep. What happened? 
Well, uh, RCQ was, we capped at 48 players nice. and it was six rounds of Swiss. I ended up going four Oh and two in the Swiss. And I was unfortunately dispatched in the quarterfinals. Um, Ooh. yeah, it was a, it was, I basically played my, the same list that I played. I actually didn't change a single card from the super qualifier. So that was the one that had two talismans and two beseech the mirrors. Still a big fan of that list. The only thing I think I might consider changing is going back to, um, a second cling to dust over the second beseech the mirror. Cause drawing the second beseech can be kind of awkward. Sometimes you don't always have a thing to sacrifice to it. And cling is Kling's weird. It's like a good game one card, but not as good post board because you do bring in ley line in a lot of matchups. And, you know, I usually I usually cut Kling when I bring in ley line because they're going to be have less cards in the graveyard and they're not going to have as much food for your Klings. So um, but as far as the actual tournament itself, round one played against scam. Nothing too noteworthy here. Uh, match went relatively long, but yeah, it was mostly just like I got scam game one and then Drew lands in the postboard games. The thing about that matchup is as long as you can turn off their scam, like your late game usually will overpower theirs. So, you know, as long as you're not dying early, then it should be good to go towards the late game. Uh, round two had a really, really fun match. So I played against uh, the, the guy who goes to our LGS name. His name is John, and he was playing a coffers, a variant of sorts, but he was playing some blue cards. Have you guys seen what? this deck list? I, I, is I put this a link the one to you it. played today. I, did you tweet yes. about it today? I, I did. I yeah. was curious about this. I didn't realize it was in our notes as well. Um, I just put it there. Let's let's hear about it because yeah, this is some <laughs> wild stuff. Demir is, is this coffers. the blue Karn, the blue Tron to the black Tron of of coffers? Well, it's funny you bring up blue Tron. I don't know if uh, as you know, listeners maybe have heard the name tr- the username Trellin before, but Trellin is a you know a very avid blue Tron enthusiast. So now that they've kind of made the switch to coffers, they got to bring that blue Tron flair into the coffers deck, you know? Yeah. If you look at the history, it looks like for the past month, month and a half, Trellin has only been like, has been doing tons of Demir coffers. I see league. stuff from like, league. Point. Yeah, challenge from the, league. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But, but yeah, it's like, I'm going to test this out. I'm going to five Oh some leagues. I'm going to do pretty decent. I'm going to top 32, some challenges. And now I'm going to top four one. So getting better. Yeah, I think, okay, looking at their history, they played a little bit. Yeah, it was like a lot of Mono Blue Tron, and then they kind of switched to Coffers. So they played a bunch of Coffers, and now it looks like this is their new take on Coffers. Um, but basically, sweet. what's what's going on here is it's a lot of the Coffers, the Coffer stuff that you're used to, so Karns, Bowmasters, Rings, but instead of, some, it's cutting something down some of the four drops, excuse me. So you'll see no Shieldreds, which I find kind of interesting. And no copies of Beseech Whoa. the Mirror, no Damnation. So it's cutting all of those four drops, and it's cutting some of the removal spells. It's also not playing Thoughtseize, which I, I think is a little crazy. But four, four Cling to Dust, two, and then the blue cards we're playing are two Repeal, two Remand, and four Spell Pierce, which I kind of oddly like in a sense, because I think it makes you a little bit better against Cascade, and I think that's Cascade can be kind of a tougher matchup from the Coffer side of things. So spell pierce, like I'd much rather have spell pierce against living in the thoughts. Right. You know? Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so that's, that's kind of the, that's kind of the blue cards. And then it also gives you some flexibility yeah, and some weird things well. that they're doing. So number one, what, what uh, repeal, what, what is a repeal helping us with really here? 
Um, so I, at least when I was playing the, I played this deck a little bit on stream today. And one thing that it really came up with was against blood moon. So where you could go, like you could have, because you have a couple of basic islands to be able Mm -hmm. to fetch for with expedition map. And what you can do is you can set up a spot where you have a bunch of like coffers in play and you just go end of turn, repeal your blood moon and then untap and you just have access to 20 mana to do whatever. And then you don't even care if they replay the blood moon because you got one, all you need is that one turn. Uh, and I think the most appealing thing to me, which came up a couple of times, was the blue gives you access to Academy Ruins in your mana base, which you can then play Mind Slaver on your sideboard. And who doesn't <laughs> you love just Mind Slaver huh? locking people? Is that is that what we're doing? No, you monster. Oh, did I did you that really? at least three times today. Wow. Yeah, no, I think I honestly I think the way and the more I play this deck out, the way that Trellin has built this deck has basically with the goal of that being your primary win condition. That's which hilarious. Which I find awesome. I think that's hilarious. Wow. Yeah, they came but up you, a lot. But you prevailed in this match in your, um, in your RCQ, then, yeah. though. It looks like. Yeah, you did. Yeah. I did. Yeah, so there was uh, there was some weird stuff. My opponent, uh, at one point, he tails-ended my uh, Field of Ruin. I went to go field this coffers, and I, I didn't know what his deck list was at the time. And I was like, what could he have here? And then he tails-ended my Field of Ruin. I was like, <laughs> <laughs> my gosh but uh but yeah i was i was able to to take the match uh that was it was definitely definitely a crazy match uh so now i'm two and oh round three probably my favorite match of the day here round three i played against scam so most yeah most of the games were kind of the same as your your typical fair against scam you know uh getting scammed and not getting scammed <laughs> in the postport games but uh game one was really really sick so my opponent was in the play kept seven and i th- i can't remember if i kept i think i kept seven because yeah i kept seven so we both keep seven he goes land and then uh pitches i think he pitched a bowmaster to a grief so land pitch grief and then he's looking at my hand which contains a field of ruin a swamp a Cabal Coffers, a Fatal Push, a Shieldred's Edict, a Car in the Great Greater, and the One Ring. So he thinks for a little bit, takes the Edict, and to my dis- to my surprise, does not cast Not Dead After All on his Grief. Let's his Grief die. And then from there, he goes, pitch a red card, Fury, and then Not Dead After All the Fury. Mm. Because he knows that by hand, like the Fury is a three turn clock. He knows that by hand only has three lands. I have a fatal push, which doesn't touch Fury, and I have two four drops. So the Fury is likely going to kill me before I even get to my fourth land drop. So and, and he's in the play. So I don't even get a shot at like, you know, ripping damnation or whatever. Um, so I draw. I think I drew a swamp and I just play a land and pass. He goes attack for eight, doesn't play a second land pass. He has two cards in hand. Uh, I draw talisman. <laughs> so this is this is step number one. So I draw the talisman. I play a land and I play a talisman. He goes untap, attack me for eight, put me to four. And then he goes land, draws, he draws land for turn and plays Dothy Voidwalker. So now I'm at four, facing down a four, four fury and uh, a three, three two. two Dothy Voidwalker. Yeah. And, you know, uh, boys, there's only one copy of <laughs> Damnation in my deck. And I think, you know, where this is going. Yeah. <laughs> 
So I I do draw the I do draw the damnation play land play damnation. Uh, you know, four life is a little sketchy, but he has no cards in hand. He has, yeah. I think he had one card in hand, and I just very easily take over the game. But that sequence of needing to draw the talisman, which is a two of, and the damnation, which is a one of, which was like got to be like a less than two percent chance. Dave, get the calculator game, so. out. Oh yeah, I don't even want to think about the odds of that. But like, were you sitting there at the time going like this is my only out? Like, did you know what your only out was? Or because when I'm in those moments. Moments, a lot of times I'm like, yeah, I'm going to play it out. And then I'm like, oh, wait. And then I'm like, oh, wait, you know, were you sitting there thinking, boy, the only way I do, I do this is if I draw Talisman right now and then Damnation right after? Or what do you what do you well, think? I had a I had a second copy of Shieldred's Edict, which was only a one of. But I was like, if I draw that, then I'm fine. Right. Um, but when I once I drew the Talisman, I was like, oh. I could just draw a damnation at this point. I didn't think it was going to happen, but you know, and then he tapped because I was like, oh, well, if I, I'm going to go, I'm going to, I'm going to rip the damnation. And he's just going to leave up mana and have not that after all. But then he tapped out for Voidwalker and I was like, oh, perfect. You're like, perfect. <laughs> oh, this is going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's just like, it was crazy sequence. Yeah. Uh, so that was, that was round number three. That was quite the, uh, quite the adrenaline rush as it were. Oh, absolutely. How was it? Was their reaction? Oh. Okay. Were they like, cool? Or did they need a minute? Uh, I mean, yeah, they were, they were, you know, a little bit upset, but it's, yeah. you know, it's, it's magic. magic at the end of the day. Yeah, exactly. Sometimes you get sacked. <laughs> I mean, what do you, you know, sometimes you, somebody draws a three percenter against you. It is what it is. Like, yeah. Right. Yeah. What can you do? And then, uh, round four played against amulet, mm, which I think I've only, I've played it a couple of times and I feel like it is a bad matchup for coffers, which is, you know, you, you wouldn't think so because you have a lot of field of ruins, but if they start on amulet and you can't keep that, like if you can't thoughts use their amulet right. or if they lead on saga, which gets them to amulet without them, but basically being thoughts use proof, then they can be a little bit too fast before you can start field of ruining. Sure. But the way that I look at that matchup is like, if you can Karn stone brain and resolve stone brain, you win the game. Like if you stone brain their Titans, they basically have no outs, Got it. which, uh, which happened a couple of times. Uh, there was a really cool line in game three though, where my opponent, uh, so they had a dryad and an amulet in play and they had two bounce lands, right? And I know they had a bounce land in hand because they had picked it up the previous turn after playing dryad. Uh, I have a, I play a coffers as my land for turn and I can only get seven mana with a Karn, which the magic number for Karn is eight for Karn stone brain activate. Right. So I'm like, well, I can't get coffers. So what I did is I play the Karn and I Karn uptick on his amulet and then use the fatal push in my hand to kill the amulet. Yeah. And the reason I do that is because if I don't kill the amulet, I can't get revolt to kill the dryad. Therefore, he just goes play the bounce land that I know is in his hand, has six mana, probably has Titan. Right. So I'm they like, the only way I can keep so. him. Right. Yeah. yeah. And I'm like, the only way I can keep him off six is if I push the amulet, just hope that he doesn't have two untapped lands past the turn. And then if he just passes back to me, I untap, get stone brain games over. And uh, that's exactly what happened. I killed his amulet. He didn't have to, he didn't have two untap lands Untap, get stone brain. Easy peasy. That's sick. <laughs> that's very I cool. I always forget about that move with Karn. Yeah. Yeah. I just was hearing, I forget where I was hearing someone talk about that. And I was like, man, I, I don't think about all my lines when I play these decks. Like I, I'm always thinking about what can I do with Karn on my stuff? And like, or like, do I have the, the liquid metal coating to like get their lands? But like, I'm never just like, what can I do to eliminate like value pieces they have on their side of the board with like my removal or something like that. Magic cards got a lot of text on them. So many, so much, so much text. Too much, especially questing beast. Yeah. Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> so so you ID into the top eight. 
And then yeah, lost two rounds ID. And then kind of, you know, top eight, I'll let you talk about it, but it was against Yawgmoth. It was. Yeah. So top eight uh, against Yawgmoth. Somehow I ended up fifth, which I thought was, oh, I think I ended up fifth because two people had to play it out. Therefore, they both jumped me in breakers because you would think 402 would have really, you know, would be towards the top of the standings. But I caught the, I think the other 402 was fourth and I was fifth. So it just kind of like if we had reverse breakers, then could have been a different story. Right. So I was in the draw against Yawgmoth. And I, I wanted to ask you guys about this because there was a situation that came up and I wanted to hear your guys' opinion and maybe even listeners at home, if you want to, you know, let us know in the in the comments or, or write, a, write a review or put it in a review. I would love to hear your guys' opinion on this. So uh, opponent mulligans to six. And I can't remember what hand. Uh, oh no, uh, yeah, so my hand's here. Okay. So they mult to six. They're on the play. They lead with Besiju into Gilded Goose. Uh, I draw for my turn and I go Swamp Thoughtseize. The rest of my hand after casting the Thoughtseize is two lands. I believe it was a Coffers and a Field of Ruin. Or no, it was an Urborg and a Field of Ruin. So two lands, two Bowmasters, a Thoughtseize, a Karn, and a Ring. So I have two Bowmasters and a second Thoughtseize. Those are the important parts. My opponent's four-card hand, because they mulligan to six, has a Wall of Roots, a Grist, a Bowmasters, and a Cord. And remember, they only have one land. Mm. They, don't have a, they don't have a second land. Right. Right? They have a land and a, and, a, and a Gilded Goose. So my thought process, which uh, at the time may or may not have been correct, but I was thinking that because my opponent didn't have a land and I can't push the Wall of Roots, I can just take the Wall of Roots, hope they don't have a land on top, and then take Grist next turn, which is, you know, I mean, somewhat reasonable logic. I'm curious to see, you know, before before I read the rest of this, what would you guys take off that Thoughtseize? How good is the Grist against you, do you think? It seems like fine. Is it better than fine? Well... Grist is prop. Grist is like the best card in the Yawgmoth deck. The, the thing about Grist is it also turns on all of their good cards. Like it makes Cord a good top deck, and make Yawgmoth a good cop to top deck. It just basically like turns on all of their good cards. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and I I only have two edicts, two shields edict to kill it, which is my main out. But I don't have that card in my hand. Yeah. I mean, I don't I don't hate the logic of trying to constrain their mana with Thoughtseize and then saving up saving the other Thoughtseize for the next turn when you can you know come back with with that i'm sensing that you're not happy with that particular no. line <laughs> no because no. that's what so you I, did I, right right i took the wall of roots because i kind of got caught up in the moment i'm like oh man what if i just get him what if he doesn't draw any lands right um but i think that that's just really bad logic because imagine this scenario imagine my imagine i take the grist and my opponent doesn't draw land right so i take the grist and they don't draw land right i'm winning that game anyways Regardless of what happens, if my opponent doesn't draw a land, I'm winning the game no matter what. Right. I see. Be and because of that, the only way I lose this game is if I leave them with Grist and they draw a land. Right. And I, I think I didn't kind of I kind of didn't think through that enough. I'm like, um, you know, like I said, just thought in the heat of the moment, I was like, well, they don't have a land. Just take the wall for it. And I didn't have a fatal push. But it, there's like kind of different layers to that thinking. And, you know, I asked the I kind of asked, I pulled my Twitch chat a little bit, and I think a lot of them also uh, said to take the wall for it. But looking back on it, I think that's just kind of flawed logic, because regardless of what happens, if they don't draw a land, I'm winning that game either way. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I guess the, the only question is then, like, if you like the third bucket of things is sort of like the unknown unknowns. It's like, OK, yeah. So Grist is just their best card. But how if you take Grist, how do you how else do you lose? right, from the position that you're in right there. I mean, is there another top deck that they can make that they can, like, if they top deck Yawgmoth, 
you know, does that suddenly make them w- way ahead? I guess it doesn't from their current board state. If they top deck something else, does that pull them way ahead? You know what I mean? If it really comes down to grist and you really step back and go, look, they have grist. I just got to get rid of it. There's, it's their best card. doesn't matter what else they get. Then like, yeah, I totally see what you mean for sure. But they're also one in three likely to draw land, right? And they're yeah, also- re- that's also true. They're also really likely to get a, um, to get another ramp creature in a lot of those scenarios as well, which would end up with them playing Grist one turn later, which I guess would you would have taken it with Thoughtseize anyway, so maybe that doesn't matter. So yeah, because I had the second the second thoughts. Yeah, yeah. This you know always goes back to you know what does Reed Duke say? Pun, you know, punch a hole in their hand, right? And I and I feel like you know your your challenge here is what's the best hole because there's two, right? There's the hole of the mana, and then there's the the Grist. Right, you know the, what's the best card in the hand? What enables them to keep developing their board and turn court online and all that kind of good stuff? So I think I understand the challenge here for sure, and I think you know we we do get caught up in that kind of stuff, right? Which is like, how do we stop our opponents' mana development without kind of necessarily thinking like, well, what's the actual sequence of plays that's coming up, and what am I doing in response to them having mana or not having mana? Like, does it even matter? If they're continuing to, to get their mana online when I, I took the grist out of their hand and they don't have a ton of amazing things to do afterwards. So, yeah, it's a challenge for sure. And I definitely have taken the wrong thing because I maybe don't think hard enough or I'm like, I, I take my first option because it just seems like the best one, you know, especially when it comes to stifling someone's mana, it gets so juicy in your mind, but it doesn't necessarily always turn out that way. Right. Yeah. So that was uh, that was a tough game to lose because, you know, I, I think I, I, as soon as the game was over, I looked at my opponent. I'm like, hmm, I probably would have won that game if I had just taken the grist because mm. <laughs> like the grist just made like 10 tokens or whatever. Oh, jeez. That was game one. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I could never kill it. So uh, and then game two, very, very unfortunate ending to the day. Uh, I mold to six. I kept on the play two lands. I think it was Swamp Urborg. Uh Leyline, push Bowmaster Karn. Can't really ask for more on six. You have open opening hand lane line, a fatal push for their one drop, a bowmaster for their bowmaster, and a payoff. Uh, the game went to turn 10, and I never drew a third land. Oh. So, yeah, ah. kind of tough way to go That's out. Rough. Um, but yeah, I mean, that game one was ultimately one that if, you know, if I could just take that one back, it's always, you can't, unfortunately, you can't take them back, but... Um, but the, the one thing to note is just like, at least for the listeners at home, when you're when you have kind of that loss and, and maybe uh, just a little reflection, you know, always think about go, like go back and visualize what could you have done differently. And I think that's one thing uh, that really helped me level up is like situations like this. You know, now if I'm put in that exact same situation at the next RCQ, I'm going to know to take the grist. Yeah. You know, and it's always it's always a learning experience. But yeah, as far as coffers in general, that's great. I think the only bad matchups are the really heavy control decks like four color with counterspell and uh living in has oddly been kind of tough but past that uh i think this deck is really good against scam my win rate against against scam has been crazy nice that's, that's awesome to hear actually given how much people are starting to make make noise about scam um yeah you know we can talk about that another time maybe let's see how things continue to develop but uh you know like i said i didn't want to play i mean i love i i do like playing scam it like i said it's my favorite deck but i even this week i didn't really want to play scam right now <laughs> right now so i get it um, what did you play dave so i like i said at the beginning i was looking for the hipster choice right now and maybe not the super obscure one but i was like what's the deck that's kind of overlooked vaguely overlooked in the top top tiers and i was just kind of looking around on thursday night and I was kind of like, you know what? I haven't tried in a really long time. Hardened scales, 
And then I also noticed that uh, sometime over the weekend, I saw that Andrea Mangucci also tweeted out his tears for Modern, which he also says that Modern is a tier zero or a tier format. Like there's only one deck in, in the A tier and that is Scam. But he has six decks in the B tier, and that includes Four Color Omnath, Rhinos, Living End, Murktide, Amulet Titan, and Scales. And so I was kind of like, well, let's give it a try. You know, I mean, the other thing is I wanted to play a new card. I hadn't played too many, uh, I hadn't spent too many times playing WoW cards, and this deck has uh, Agatha's Soul Cauldron in it. And I was like, well, I don't really want to play Yawgmoth, so uh, let's let's try Hardened Scales and see how, how well that works. Um, Cauldron's broken. It's, I mean, there's, there are some things to say about that card for sure. You know, I did, another thing I was thinking about too was just, I kind of wanted to play a deck that was a little more assertive just because it kind of where my mind was over, like, you know, a little tired watching my kids by myself for five days this weekend. And so I was just kind of like, I need, I need something with a little bit lower brain, not, not lower brain power, but maybe um, the ability to just be aggressive ish or assertive, I suppose. Um, if you look at that list of decks, Hardened and Scales is kind of the only one that's kind of assertive up there. I was going to say lower brain power. Yeah, I can't. Yeah, right. there's, yeah. I, I've tried playing <laughs> Scales myself, and it's like you need to get there. It's like a linear math equation or something. Yeah. I, I don't even know. There's like you need a degree in algebra to play. Yes. That. Just, I can't play. Yeah, it. that's why I wanted to course correct on that phrase, because I, I do think I mean, the nice thing about it is there are plenty of wind patterns where you're just going to turn a, a creature sideways and hit, hit them with something really big. But to really reveal like the, the rest of the deck, I, I learned really quickly, like you have to be thinking about what happens when you have uh, a scales out and an ozolith and zabaz and you're going to move counters around uh you're going to put a bunch of counters onto your arcbound ravager and then sack your arcbound ravager and put a bunch of counters somebody else and so things get really wild all over the place and actually one of the games that broke my heart the most i'll talk about a little later was me messing up scales math for I think messing up scales math. I'm not even sure uh -oh. if I messed up the scales math, honestly, but we, we can talk about that a little <laughs> later. Uh, we can sh exchange bad beat stories. But I it did feel like this one is just doing something a little bit different than a bunch of the other decks in that kind of top tier. And so I was pretty into it. Um, I didn't do super great with the deck. I think I, I jumped immediately into a league because that's what I always do. So I never, I'm not practicing or anything. I'm just playing. Uh, I only went 2-3 with it, but I think I should have gone 3-2. I mean... I feel like going in with scales completely unprepared and doing like, you know, 2.5 out of 5 is, seems pretty good to me. Not only that, but the two decks that I beat were Scam and Murktide. So I beat Scam and Murktide. I lost to Zoo Scam, which I, I don't know where, what that deck's. I mean, I do know what that deck's all about. I've been watching it on Twitter, but wow, okay. And then I also lost to a uh, Asmo, black and white Asmo deck that just crushed me by making a bunch of food and then using Asmo to kill all my all of my creatures basically before I can make them six sixes, uh, which was a lot of fun. Uh, but the the matches against Scam and Scam and Murktai were both really interesting and interactive. Burn, like I said, I think I lost to one bad sequencing decision, but that's all about like having Shadow Spear main and so being able to saga into Shadow Spear after a certain amount of time and attack with an eight eight saga token, you know, with Shadow Spear attached to it, of course, is a huge play against aggressive decks and it works against Burn as long as they don't have wear tear, which is what happened one time. <laughs> But, um, you know, the other two I felt like were kind of medium decks. So, I, I, you know, all of this being said, I don't have like a bunch of hot tips for how to play scales 
off the top. After but five, I did have some after five matches. Yeah. You don't after five matches. Yeah, exactly. But I do well, have Dave's some, still learning himself. Yeah, exactly. Learning plenty of myself. Uh, I I will say just to spoil it. Uh, I I do think I would play this deck again. Like I I have it rented still. I think I would fire up another league with it. I thought it was fun and interesting at least, and the cards felt powerful enough. The one problem with this deck, like. Well, I'll go through it. So I kind of have like a list of things that I thought were cool and good about the deck right now and a list of things that I thought were kind of not very good or things I thought are problems. And I'll be curious to know what your all impressions of these particular things are from here. So here's the stuff that I thought was good. Here's what stood out to me. Number one, number one, actually, which I thought was kind of weird is a little uncommon that people have talked about on and off for the last year, and that is Patchwork Automaton, which is a 1-1 one, one for 2 with Ward 2 that says whenever you cast an artifact spell, put a plus 1, plus 1 counter on Patchwork Automaton. I knew this card was powerful and good. I hadn't played with it before. I still think it's probably kind of underrated in the deck. This card is pretty hard to interact with for a lot of decks just because of the Ward 2 and just because you can move so fast. Uh, yeah, sometimes sweet. it gets out of gets out of line. I def I played this in something like months ago. I can't remember what the heck it was, but it's it's sweet when you have like this artifact synergy. Like this thing gets big fast. Yeah, it gets big really fast. And I was even doing wild stuff like because I was against a red deck in game one. I was against burn in game one. I just like tossed a hangerback walker for no mana against it to get it to four four when they were tapped out so that they couldn't. They couldn't kill it with a lightning bolt, basically. So they were on two mana. I was on two mana. I managed to grow it up to four mana on on that turn, or to four toughness, knowing that they couldn't kill it with uh, with multiple spells. And then I managed to make it an eight eight, and then swing it with shadow spear from there. And that was just kind of like the game. Uh, Ward two. Ward is more impressive to me. I guess I only want to mention this because Ward is becoming more and more impressive to me. The more cards that it gets tacked on for good rate that I see. There's not a ton of them, but when it's on a card for basically free, it it can help you. It can make the card viable when maybe it wouldn't be viable without it. Yeah, I mean this this turns like a pretty unplayable card, you know, as a one one for two that you have to untap with and do uh, you know do anything to get some value out of it. It makes it playable. And I'm um, it's it's wild to me that it took that long to create ward because it sort of seems like it's so tunable. You know what I mean? Like, it's not like Hexproof. And it's like they, they can give something like Ward 1. They get something like Ward 4. It's it's really something that they can really dial in the sort of the mana value that you get for a card that can like turn like a, you know, 1.6 into a 2.2. And that makes a card better than it costs sometimes. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Next thing that stuck out to me is really good, of course, or is really impressive in this deck is all of my Ozoliths. The Ozolith, Which one? Uh, so uh, the Ozolith is pretty good. Uh, I think that it's it's a little bit harder to use. We'll talk about that later. But Ozolith, the Shattered Spire, as your copies five and six of Hardened Scales, plus the fact that you can tap it to be able to get your counter game started if you don't have any way to get counters on like a bad creature or something that's on the battlefield by itself to just help you smooth that transition and make you not as all in on having a bunch of creatures all the time was really good. There were a lot of times where I was like, you know, recharging a ballista with Ozilis, the activated ability, or, you know, just being able to do kind of tricky things with that in order to restart my engine after I kind of either absorbed a whole bunch of interaction or got hit by a sweeper, or, you know, even if I'm just doing something like slowly powering up an ink, uh, ink moth nexus over and over again, over a couple of turns to make it a really serious threat without having to expend a lot of cards to do that. 
Um, the Shattered Spire was really impressive to me in the way that it worked. The Ozolith itself, that card is, is such a lightning bolt that's so, or lightning rod that people are just killing it or killing all the creatures as soon as I got Ozolith out. So it's a little bit harder to really get a bunch of value out of the Ozolith all the time. But when you do, it's it's wild, of course. Like the truly crazy plays that come out of this deck have to do with like, I'm going to sack a Ravager that has five counters on it, and then those counters go on the Ozolith, and they go on my Walking Ballista, and then combat starts, and then those five counters go back on the Walking Ballista, and suddenly you have like a 12-12 instead of a 2-2. Like, that stuff happens. It's just... It almost felt like kind of win more sometimes where it's like the card doesn't really do anything unless you're rolling. It just really helps you close it out. I, I suppose it gives you like a little bit of uh, redundancy against interaction against your creatures dying, but you have to have another creature in order to, to really take advantage of it. So it can be hard to get the engine restarted then. And one thing that's really one thing that's really nice about it as well is when you have the card, the next card in your list, I get the soul cauldron, just having stuff that puts more counters on it. Or like if you have a creature that doesn't have a counter on it, like a Nexus or something, uh, and just being able to like, you know, get or the O's the Shattered Spire, of course. Uh, and then as, as far as the Ozolith itself, like when you're going off with scales, even if your opponent's killing all of your creatures, when you have a scales in play, you're you're still kind of climbing up the ladder at those times. So it's like even if you start with one counter, you go two two on a creature, they kill it. Next turn, it's three. Next turn, it's four, so on and so forth. So it just kind of, every removal spell they cast, it's just getting worse and worse for them. Yep, yeah. But we'll talk about some of the problems with that game plan for scales as well that, that comes up. But um, Agatha Soul Cauldron is the next thing on my list. So this is the, the card that I wanted to play. You know, there's not a ton of games where where I got a hold of this card. I, only, I think I only played it in maybe three of the 10 games or so, 10 or 11 or 12 games that I played. However... Like, Walking Ballista plus this card is totally bananas. It's just yeah. an unbelievable thing. Like, they kill you play a Walking Ballista, you sacrifice it, then all of your creatures are Walking Ballistas. Or, you know, but the, the other thing about it is, like, you know, you can use the Hangerback Walker ability. There's not really that many abilities that you can add to, to your creatures from Agatha's Soul Cauldron. It's mostly Walking Ballista, Ravager's Sack ability, and Hangerback Walker's activated ability. That's that's kind of it for the deck. But they're all really good and really powerful and helpful. Of course, Walking Ballista kind of takes the cake from all of those. But the thing that was the most interesting to me is that similar to what impressed me about the Shattered Spire, the Ozolith the Shattered Spire, is is this is even better in a sense because it's a no mana like no mana activated ability that adds counters to your to your creatures. So sometimes I was just using Soul Cauldron like that. I don't even care what abilities it's adding to things. I just played it as a two drop and then it's like, oh, I really need to get a, another counter on another two counters on this walking ballista. So I'll tap this. I'll add one by eating a creature and then you know hardened scales goes or uh yeah hardened scales goes off and then boom i get two counters instead and my walking ballista is powered up again i i really i mean that was enough for the card to be good almost on its own plus the ability to turn everything to a walking ballista just made it like insane but i do see why this deck only plays two like it's you don't really really need it the way that maybe like yogmoth would consider playing three because there's so much going on with the activated abilities there and it's a combo kill there it's only a medium combo kill here because one of the biggest combo kills of course with um you know in hardened scales has to do with ink moth nexus like being able to do a quick ink moth nexus powered up to 10 and attack somebody soul cauldron only helps with that a little bit it kind of helps with your plan b but walking bliss is your best piece of interaction it's one of your best threats and so i can kind of see but it makes a ton of sense in this deck and it's another piece that helps make a lot of these it makes a lot of the harder parts of 
this deck's game plan like smooth out the rough edges in those spots. And then the last thing is just this is the first time I played Urza's Saga in probably I don't know a few months. Urza's Saga is a good card. Good card. Still. <laughs> known good card. Oh, yeah. Yeah, known good card. Really good one. It's it's surprising to me that when you look at the top uh, end of modern right now, the two decks that are playing Saga are just Titan and Scales. And then there's not a whole lot other than that, especially with Hammer Time being on the wane. So I'm I'm a little surprised that there isn't a deck that is pushing more clearly into the top end of the the tier decks based on Urza Saga. But maybe it's just that the whole metagame beyond Scam is so flat that this is just kind of like where it's at. And all those decks that are kind of B tier are sort of a little interchangeable at the moment. But Urza Saga, still amazing, in case you were wondering. <laughs> Love that card. Yeah. Some of the food decks have been playing it too. I, I played a couple of the like the Lonus combo decks and they're, they take pretty good, uh, you know, they, they take pretty good advantage of it. Yeah. Yeah. So here's the stuff that stuck, stuck out to me as being a problem with this deck. One is, you know, we kind of touched on it. Math is hard. Okay. Like it's, I, I'm a little worried about playing a deck like this in paper. You have to be able to keep track of things and make sure you really know that your interactions, you know, sitting there for a while on like turn three and going, can I kill someone? or turn four, I guess, like very early in the game still feeling like, I think there's a way for me to activate this Ink Moth Nexus and get it to 10 counters, but I'm not sure. I'm totally seeing it right now. Um, what happened with the one that I had, the one time that I did it was I had a, um, God, what's the name of the zero mana artifact that does, that regenerates? I'm suddenly blanking on the name of the card. Like Welding Jar? Yeah, Welding Jar. Yeah, so it's like I had Welding Jar out, and my opponent was on burn. They had two red mana open on, on my turn. And I had a Ravager out. I had a couple of creatures out. I had a Welding Jar out. I had an Ink Moth Nexus and Hardened Scales. And I was sitting there, and I was like, oh, they're going to kill me next turn. And I was like, <laughs> oh, wait, no, I can kill them right now and so i started going through the sequencing and the thing that i messed up was instead of sacrificing welding jar to ravager to get counters on my ink moth nexus i sacked it so regenerate it and it tapped it yeah which i'm not totally sure that i could have worked out the sequencing because in order for my opponent to get me they had to have two lightning bolts there and they did have two lightning bolts and i was at seven life so they needed to have When they when their turn went back, they needed to have Lightning Bolt and Boros Charm, which they had, by the way. So the thing that I messed up was I probably should have just gone through all of my sack sequence, even though I knew that they they could have um, killed my Ink Moth Nexus with all the counters on it, just to get that other Lightning Bolt out of their hand and try to fade them, drawing another burn spell for a little bit to try to survive. But um, maybe it was tough. It was a tough, tough moment there. Uh, that was yeah, the, the loss. Where I was like, the misclicks hurt. Yeah. Well, yeah. I that was just a rules like thing. I just totally forgot that when you regenerate sure. something, it taps. You know, because oh, it doesn't really come right. up a lot. Okay. <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean? So, yeah. anyway, um, so that was hard. Like sequencing in this deck is hard. I think it would just take practice, but I think it's pretty cool at the same time. The weirdest thing to me about this deck is the sideboard actually felt like really bad. I don't think there's that many great options for sideboard cards here. And I think that the builds that I've seen floating around and these people are doing well in challenges. So like, who am I to judge, but they don't really have a ton of graveyard hate. So maybe they must think the scam matchup is pretty good because they're not bringing in anything that really helps you keep things in the graveyard or, or anything like that. They just have dismember to be able to help kill a fury basically, or in the hopes that you don't get blown out by one, but like the sideboards don't make a ton of sense to me. So I'd want to spend some more time 
studying exactly what they're trying to do with the cards that are, are in the sideboard right now. And then the last thing is just interaction. Obviously, this deck has like no interaction other than um, other than walking ballista. Yeah. Main. And so that's a little bit tough as well, feeling like you're in a in a in a format that is really defined at this point by really, really good interaction, like having almost none and just being trying to just trying to like go on your plan has been um, a little bit challenging as well. But yeah, you're kind of just ignoring you're trying to ignore what they're doing and hope that your hope that your plan is better than theirs. Yeah. But your plan is so fragile that it's like that there, yeah, well, there are true. aspects of it that are very fragile. So you're kind of like, oh, I really wish that I had a little bit of a backup plan somewhere. But, um, you know, we'll see. But anyway, that's my take on Hardened Scales after one league of a deck that we haven't talked about a ton over the years. But it's still there and uh, is still pretty good, I think. Dave, I got to say, I'm looking at a sideboard right now and I see one copy of Karn Sign of Urza. Did you play that one? I did not play a Karn Sign of Urza. That's pretty <laughs> spicy. Okay. I found a good cyber card for you. Okay. What do, what do you think that does for you? Anything in particular? I guess um, it lets you draw cards. I would imagine, yeah, I would imagine like good against scam. Yeah. Well, I use good in quotation marks because like how good can a four mana planeswalker be if they're killing the rest of your stuff? I think the biggest issue, because, you know, we're talking about that matchup in general. Um, I don't know. Like, I know I've heard Spike talk about this a lot where he says he thinks he's favored against scam. And I don't know if that's like scales being favored against scam or if that's aspiring spike being favored against scam. Mm. Because I mean, if you look at the deck list, like the, the card specifically that, that worries me is Dothy Voidwalker, yeah. like shutting off Hangerback, Sabaz, Arcbound Ravager, like all of this stuff that it shuts off. And that's like a really key part of the matchup. Is, right. Uh, being able to like you know move those counters around and get counter get guys off hangerback walker so i don't know if that matchup is actually good i know you played against it a couple of times yeah i mean i beat it i beat the straight scam list in a good like grindy matchup like it was a good interactive kind of matchup the the zoo list was tougher because their threats honestly are so much better so when they're not scamming they're playing you know they're playing the domain creatures and that's what i really had like no answers to i was like oh you played a five five on turn two cool um give me a minute and i'll be i'll get to an eight eight if i survive (laughs) you know if i draw the right cards i did have some sick plays against against that deck though where they attacked in with a I just had one of those plays where, like, I don't know if they didn't realize how many things I could sacrifice or what I could do to make a ballista huge with a hangerback walker on the the board or what was happening. But, like, they attacked him with several creatures, and I just, like, blocked and killed all of them and still had my hangerback walker and everything left over afterwards. And it was kind of like, it was kind of like, oh, yeah, that's why this deck is, that's why this deck is fun. Yeah, I'm wondering if maybe, like, I know you mentioned the lack of interaction. Like, what if we just main deck dismember? Yeah, like it's dismembered that bad. It, this, it hits a lot of decks, you know, yep. especially scam. Yeah, I could, I could definitely see that. Um, obviously, there's not a ton of space. Main deck. I will say one of the one of the cards that was the, and this is going to sound absurd, but one of the cards that actually did not come in that handy for me was Ancient Stirrings. Like it just never. It always felt like I was kind of hmm. drawing like equivalent cards. That's probably just running bad with with them or running mediocre with them because a one mana cantrip like where you get to look at five cards like that's pretty. Like on rate, that's impossible to beat. So um, basically, just one minute demonic tutor, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Maybe I just don't know what to be looking for still. And so it kind of felt like, hey, these are all just a bunch of artifacts. Which one do I want? I guess it's take always take Arcbound Ravager is probably the answer. But uh, yeah, I think I would give this one another shot though for sure. Devin, do you think this deck is like medium? Do you think it's real in the format, or what do you what do you think about it? 
Hmm. I don't know. It's it, there. There was a, one of the challenges I think had what two in the top eight, six in the top thirty-two. Is the Saturday challenge? Yeah. I think the 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 first Saturday challenge. So it's putting up really good numbers online. I mean, I I swear I've tried to play this deck so many times, and for the life of me, there's just something that my my brain just can't compute this this kind of stuff. And I don't know. It's like it, you need a lot of practice with decks yeah. like this. For me, it feels a little bit like prowess, which so it like scratches that itch for me as well. Where it's like, oh, I'm gonna cast a bunch of cheap spells and have all these little micro interactions, and like I kind of like that kind of magic. So yeah, not my thing. I mean, I think I kind of want it to be. I just but like like Devin said, you know. Or as maybe like Teen Talk Barbie said, math class is tough. It's just it's tough, man. It's I don't, I don't know. I don't like math. It's 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 not well. It, you know what's funny is it's it's a combination of a variety of factors, right? It's not it's math plus like consistent sort of board state and draw outcomes where you're just kind of like, you know, if, if I do this, then like this could happen. And if I draw into this or if I draw into this and you have to like have to do the permutations in your brain. And I think for like a league, that's probably like fun and cool and good. But maybe like over the course of like a longer tournament, I would probably feel a bit wiped out. But maybe, you know, maybe it becomes second nature, like Amulet Titan or something like that, where you just kind of know your your, your basic lines. You know when you get, you know, you know, based on like the number of counters and what you have in play, like what you can get to and how much damage you can do and stuff like that. So, yeah. 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 I don't know if this term is going to make any sense, but like battlefield management, you're just managing a lot of game pieces and there's a lot of stuff to keep track of. Yeah. Which sometimes is something I like and sometimes it's something that just feels really overwhelming. Right. Just give me some lava spikes. I like managing two to three battle battlefield pieces, which is two rhinos. It's just the one ring and a, and a bow master. Like that's it. Yeah. Two two rhino tokens and a shardless agent. That's all I need. Yeah. All right. Do you guys want to take a minute and talk about cards or we want to stop no, here? Let's, I think there's one that you have in here. There's well, one is Cavern of Souls, right? Right. Of course, we sort of hinted yep. that we would eventually talk about this. Might as well talk about it. And all I have to say about Cavern of Souls is I really never thought they would print this card in standard again. Me neither. Kind of crazy. It's totally crazy to me. I, I mean, I am glad that I'm going to finally get to like finish my play set for whatever weird tribal deck I want to play someday <laughs> in the future, I guess. I have two Cavern of Souls that I've paid, you know, a zillion dollars for at one point in time. At least now it'll probably be less than a zillion dollars to, to buy caverns, I'm assuming. But um, who knows? We'll see. We'll see. I, I don't think it's going to be good in Pioneer, though. You know, like Devin, you kind of hinted on the show last week that you didn't think it was going to be that great in Pioneer, right? Like, I mean, it, it'll at least be good, right? I mean, there are humans decks. There are spirits decks. Those are perfectly viable decks, and it can just plop right in there and maybe expand your range a little bit. Like, maybe this gets you closer to uh, an Orzov humans deck or something like that. I don't know. Yeah. So where I think so it's kind of like this is basically this has two layers. So the first layer is uh, the counter spells in Pioneer just for lack of a better term, they suck. So I was looking at like, I was looking at Guillaume Wafotapa's list and maybe this is an extreme example, but uh, for those wondering, the counter spells he played was three Sinister Sabotage, three Negate and two Change the Equation. So (laughs) no copies of Make Disappear, uh, none of that stuff. And he was playing Blue Black. So it's like, 
you know, the counter spells are just in the, in the format are just not that good to begin with. So I think that Cavern of Souls, a lot of people associate that with like, you know, oh, I'm going to play against the, you know, my opponent's blue eye control deck in modern and get to resolve all my creatures. They're not going to get to counter our spells. And that's not what's going to happen in Pioneer. What I think it does enable is I think it's going to enable two very important things. One is five color humans. So there has been a lot of people who have tried this in the past where it's like you have a setup of experiment one. Uh, what's the other the hopeful initiate. So experiment one, hopeful initiate. And then your twos are like Lieutenant pack leader, uh, Jirina, which is the, the aftermath card. And then your threes are Mantis rider, general Kudro. And then you top the curve off with Coco, but it's like, you know, you don't have enough rainbow or you don't have enough mana fixing to, to facilitate all of these like Mantis rider plus black cards, plus green cards. And I think cavernous souls, even though your opponent's not going to be trying to counter your spells, it's just fixing your mana is really good. Am I right in thinking that there's, there's 12, that'll be, there'll be 12 of these lands now. Right in Pioneer, That's right? Because there's one in there's one in Neon Dynasty. There's the one in Ixalan. Secluded courtyard, right? Unclaimed territory, and now cavernous. Yeah, I mean, you'll you'll effectively have what like five color modern humans besides the yeah besides Ziggurat, and you don't really need it at this point. No, because the secluded courtyard, you don't really need it at this point anyway, right? So. Yeah. Yeah, so I like it there. Um, it, I don't, I see. I'm, I'm not a hundred percent sure if Spirits is going to want to play a ton of these, at least the blue white Spirits versions, because they, oh, they the don't really have problems with mana. Yeah, and they have a lot of counter spells, and Cavern does not cast the counter spells, right. and they're already playing four mutabolts. So it's like, can you afford to play eight? effective colorless lands that don't no, cast your probably not. spells. I'm not sure that you can, but maybe if you're playing band spirits, I could see it. Um, but yeah, I think that humans is by far the, the place that I'm most excited for just because of how, what, it, how much it actually expands. Yeah. All right. Well, Cavern of Souls, known good card. We'll see. We'll see where it ends. Just up. don't play counter spells in Pioneer. If you're listening at home, that that's, that's, that's your Pioneer advice. Don't play counter spells. They're don't terrible. Worry. Can I play, can I play spirits with its little counter spells? Is that is that a Spell better version? Is not a counter spell. Come on, don't don't um actually me. I'm thinking about mana beak and uh, and geist light snare and stuff like that. You know the good ones. All right, those are fun. Yeah. All right, next card: Galta Stampede Tyrant, five generic, green, 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 legendary creature, Elder Dinosaur, to twelve, twelve, trample. <laughs> when when Galta Stampede Tyrant enters the battlefield, put any number of creature cards from your hand onto the battlefield. It's Jesus. It's like sneak. Have you not seen this card? No, you haven't seen this card. <laughs> the only thing I saw was Cavern. Oh, okay. Oh, wow. I do think there's only there's only a couple cards, Devin. So there's only one more after this that I think is worth talking about. But this card, I mean, I'm so surprised that this card doesn't say when it enters the battlefield if it's cast from your hand that this trigger occurs because um, this seems like some kind of crazy new cheat reanimation target of choice. I have no idea what the build is, but you know. Yeah, I mean... It's legendary, too, so you can Gorios it. Yeah, you got to Gorios it. Yes. So, right? you know, you Gorios it, and you have a bunch of other wild stuff in your hand. I mean, 12, 12 trample, pretty decent amount of damage there. Only could hit it with, like, Terminate. Yeah. It's just kind of weird because, like, okay, so let's assume that you have the ability to put a creature into your graveyard and a Gorios Vengeance. So what is the upside of just dumping? Like, if you have the ability to dump this and you still have an Atraxa in hand, what is the upside <laughs> of just, like, dumping the Atraxa, right? Because it almost turns your reanimate into a three-card combo as opposed to a two-card combo. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah, so I just... Li- you have to find some some kind of payoff for it. It's it's It just feels like maybe it's, like, all of these things together in one deck, and then either one of them is good. Like, whichever one goes yeah, in there maybe. is fine, and then whatever's in your hand is fine, and I, I don't know, but... Yeah, 
I'm I'm into this. I mean, it's a, it's an interesting target. It has a lot of power and toughness. It's a good like you know flingy type thing uh, for the calibrated blast type decks. It's not amazing there, but certainly a, a big body. I mean, what about like some kind of weird other build of everybody's favorite third tier cascade deck, Glimpse of Tomorrow? So if you glimpse into this, you just get to dump whatever is in your all of your token makers that are that are in your hand. You just get to like <laughs> drop them in. You know that's probably not right, but I'm just I'm just saying. There's other ways to cheat this thing and play Devin is stroking his stroking beard like his a pirate. Beard. I can't tell if it's approvingly or not approvingly. I'm just thinking. Yeah, there you go. There's a lot going on. Are, up you, here thunking? Right now, you, know? are you thinking? Yeah, What's the, there's yeah. a big difference. Thunking, thunking. <laughs> This card seems like it's going to be... People are going to try to break it, though. I mean, I, that's what that's the highlight from this. People are going to try to break giant green creature newsflash. This this last one is one that I would talk about, uh, Dave, uh, in, in our real spoiler episode. And that's the Skull Spore Nexus. Six green green legendary artifact. It costs S X Lex. <laughs> this spell costs... X. X-Lax. Smooth move, X-Lax. <laughs> to cast, where X is the greatest power among creatures you control. We've seen text like this before. Whenever one or more non-token creatures you control die, create a green fungus dinosaur creature token with base power and toughness, each equal to the total power of those creatures. And then you can pay to tap it and double target creature's power until end of turn. So we have we have the very first thing, which is mana cheating ability in green based on yeah. creatures mm-hmm. it's the great henge right isn't this the line of text that's on the great it's, henge yeah it's extremely similar if not the same greatest power yeah yeah it's the it's the same it's the same text yeah so we have a cheaty thing for great henges and then anytime one of your creatures dies you get another creature back with the total power of those creatures one or more right or so more. if they so like let's say if you have two three threes and they kill your two th- like if they wrath your two three threes you just get a six six exactly I believe. Yeah, okay. But then if you have two mana open, you can double the target, the power of one of your three threes, and then you get a nine nine in that scenario as well. Because if then it's a six six and a three three, and it becomes a nine nine. Well, wouldn't you rather just get a six six and then make it a twelve twelve on your turn? But if right, it, you would just let the wrath resolve, get a six six, then untap, activate it to make it twelve twelve. I guess you could just go double the three, make it a nine, and then on your turn make it an eighteen. This is exactly. too much yeah, math. And I thought you didn't <laughs> like math, Devin. Yeah. So this goes at hardened scales, is what we're saying. Yeah, obviously. <laughs> oh, oh wait, 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 wait. Oh my god, it's nuts with Ravager, right? So you make a big Ravager, you play this, then you sack the Ravager to itself, you get a big token. Then you can like, uh, I don't know, I don't, you know, I, I, I lost my train of thought there. I said that as a joke, but maybe it, maybe it does go in hardened scales <laughs> or maybe it goes with like, uh, you know what other card I thought of a little bit with this that it goes with is, um, did you ever play any of those weird affinity lists that like uh, Everett was into that had the dreadnought that cost one, one mana? Never tried it. I've seen them, but I never tried I, it. I tried it but I, at one time, and I'm kind of like, well, is there something that's just can't attack but has huge power and doesn't cost anything that you could, you know, get your Skullspore Nexus and then sacrifice the creature that can't attack, you know, like that kind of move out there as well. I, this card seems like there's a lot of angles. There's a lot of text on it, and it seems like it does some interesting stuff. Yeah, interesting. I mean, like like you said, any time that we see a card like this that has a cheating, like a mana cheating ability on it where you can cheat it out, uh, you always got to keep an eye on those ones. Yeah, yeah. I can see it. This card has cool stuff you can do sick art, too, by the way. Like, I really, it's one of the cool, like, showcase cards, I think, of the set right now, anyway. But, all right. Those are the three cards that we have right now. Some interesting stuff. 
Sweet. And maybe we could talk. Maybe we could talk more spoilers when we actually know what maps do. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. I did want to talk about Kellen. Like Kellen is a pretty interesting. It's a two mana two three that does the. Um, you know, go get a reveal the top card of your library of its creature card, put it in your hand, otherwise put it into your graveyard, which is kind of like an interesting thing. But then it does create X map token tokens where X is one plus the number of opponents who control an artifact for a single green. We we obviously can't evaluate that until we know what a map token is. So, but based on the word map, my guess is it has something to do with scrying, but we'll have to see. See, I was thinking it was uh, expedition map. Like maybe it's to tap, go get a go get a basic land okay. out of your out of your library or something. But could be. We'll see. We'll have to see. Okay. Shane. Cool, cool, cool. Well, I think that wraps up this week's show. If you haven't, make sure you subscribe to the pod. You get the latest episodes as soon as they come out. It you know keeps our keeps our download numbers up. That's, that's extremely helpful for our legion of sponsors that are flocking to our door. If you use Apple Podcasts though, please leave us a rating and a review. And as you heard today. We have a lot of people giving us feedback on Spotify, and we will read those out. And it's just fun. It's fun to have a little interaction in that fashion where we can, I think, you know, we should start asking questions every episode just so we have a little bit more of a dialogue there. That's fun. If you want to submit a question to us, however, you can reach out to us uh, at X at the Dive Down. No. Twitter. Twitter. Uh, you can email the dive down at gmail.com. If you want to support us, of course, go to the Patreon, patreon.com slash the dive down, or check out the store at the dive down.com slash store. You can head on over to heavyplay.com to get some incredible deck and dice boxes and play mats featuring the equipment system. Use code the dive down 2023 for 10% off your order there. Shout out to Mana Traders, of course, helping keep us going with the affiliate code. You can sign up using that code the dive down 23 for 10% off of your first two months of running magic online cards. Get those shaving soaps, body soaps, fragrances, and more at Barrister and Man using code the dive down 23 for 15% off your first order there. And Nerd Rage Gaming gives listeners 8% off their order with code DIVE8. As always, thanks to the bands Nowhere and Spaceblood for letting us use their music. And until next week, get out there and get those pedophiles!